0: Well, what's up liquid church how y'all doing my name is nathan and i am one of the pastors what's up guys let's keep that going for our campuses and those watching online what's up guys So good to have you guys here as we are wrapping up our series, Spartan Faith, where we're learning what does it look like, what does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight, to actually live a life that pleases God and not trying to please the culture and the people around us. And today is actually a great Sunday to be coming for the first time because maybe you noticed when you came to your campus, there's some tables out there, there's some decorations, uh, there's some strange people that are wearing all sorts of weird costumes, and it's because we are doing our Dream Team Expo today and our Dream Team Expos we're actually going to be highlighting and celebrating our Dream Team volunteers all across our campus. Can we make some noise for our Dream Team volunteers? They're amazing! Uh, these are the men and the women and the students. They truly are the lifeblood of our church. We could literally do nothing without them, and uh, we are so grateful for them. In fact, we're going to give you an opportunity after the message to actually check out our Dream Team Expo and join one of our teams, and uh, to do that, we're actually going to make the, the sermon shorter. Some of you are like, miracles, Hallelujah! So we're going to get you an opportunity to kind of head out there But listen, we've been doing this series called Spartan Faith for the past few weeks And uh, Pastor Tim kicked it off at Liquid at the Shore talking about, um, you know, the Hebrews 11 heroes of our faith, right? These are men and women who walked by faith, not by sight They're examples to us, they're role models to us And so Pastor Tim kicked it off talking about a guy named Gideon Say Gideon with me, church Gideon. Gideon was this scared kid that God said, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon had 300 people with him, men with him, to fight against a horde. And what they learned was God plus you is a majority. So no matter what, if God is with you, who can be against you? What can come against you and find victory? The answer is nothing. And then there was Noah, and Noah was a knower, and he knew something that the rest of the culture did not. That God was bringing judgment, and he believed God. And because of that, people thought he was crazy. And we learned, you know, it's okay if we look a little odd when we follow God, because we've got great people that have done it before us. And then we kind of camped out talking about a guy named Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. He lived in a place called Ur and he walked away from what was comfortable so he could follow God into the wilderness. And then God gave him a test, a final exam. God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac and Abraham passed the test. He believed God. He trusted God and Abraham is now in the hall of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. These three men, Gideon, Noah, And Abraham are kind of like God's dream team. Like that's kind of how I think about Hebrews 11. This is God's dream team, the the hall of faith right here. But these three men specifically, what quality did they all have in common? Well, it was the quality of their faith. They walked by faith, which is acting like God is telling the truth before you see the results. You know, we've been talking about what this looks like. And I think for many of us, including Christians, before we take a step of faith, we're first wondering, God, can I even do what you're calling me to do? I mean, are you really going to come through? We actually want to qualify it on the front end. And by doing that, we actually cancel out God moving in supernatural and miraculous ways because we try to control it. We try to see if we can do it already. But what made these men and women end up in Hebrews Hall of Faith is before they saw anything happen, They trusted God, and they made room for the miraculous, and they made room for the supernatural, and they saw God move in mighty and awesome and incredible ways. But let me tell you, folks, we only scratched the surface. We didn't even get through all of the over a dozen names that are in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. In fact, uh, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who who this person is, but here's what they said kind of wrapping up this section. They write, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel or all the other prophets. He's like, man, I wish I had more time. Oh, if I had more time, I'd tell you more about this guy and this woman and that man. I'd tell you about Barak and Samson and all these other people. Well, good news, folks. I've got time. All right. The, folk, the guy from Hebrews, he don't have time, but I got plenty of time. And we're going to walk through some of these folks because here's the thing that we need to know and be aware of is that there's there's something they had in common about this quality of faith, was they didn't just kind of keep their faith like a noun, but they lived it out like a verb. They put their faith into action, and that's what we're going to see, especially when we look at this guy named Barack. Now say Barack with me. Barack. Barack. And some of you are like, I didn't know Barack Obama was in the Bible. I I didn't know he made the Hall of Faith. Well, this is a different Barak, don't want to get political, but this Barak was actually one of the generals in the army of Israel. And at the time, Israel uh, was living in the Promised Land, but they had not yet possessed all of it. And Barak had a very interesting boss, something very unique of that time, and it was that he reported to the leader of Israel, who was a woman named Deborah. Deborah was one of the judges. Which meant she kind of was in charge of Israel. She was uh, basically there to be the, the one who heard for God and spoke to God of the people. And she says to Barak, Barak, listen, the Lord gave me a word that you need to actually go and tell, take out the Canaanites. The Canaanites are this bloodthirsty tribe. They're kind of coming around, and they're attacking Israel, and they're um, causing all sorts of chaos. And Barak knows that he does not have the soldiers. They don't have the quality of soldiers. They don't have the numbers to beat the Canaanites. But as he's thinking about it, he says this to Deborah. He says, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now Barack could have just went, you know, running right into battle and kind of stormed right there. But he said, "No, no, I, I want to bring Deborah with me. I don't want to do this by myself. Deborah, I want you to come with me because better things are going to happen when we go into this as a team rather than as individuals." Because Barack understood something that if you've been around liquid, we understand, which is this: is that teamwork makes God's dream work. In fact, say this with me, church: teamwork makes God's dream work. Now, this isn't just something that we say at Liquid, but we do say this a lot here. This is actually something that we stole from the Bible. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, we see that God has this massive dream about creating a people for himself, and he doesn't use one person. He uses an entire team to do it. And then the baton is passed to the New Testament where you have a church, you have an entire community of men and women that are in the business of bringing about God's dream. Guys, we cannot bring about God's dream by ourselves. We need a team. We need people around us, men and women who are sold out for Jesus, who are saying we'll do whatever it takes to make the dream come to pass. And that's exactly what Deborah and Baraks did. They came together, and they were at this point where they were at war with the Canaanites, and they were about to go charging in. Now, they went charging in without knowing whether or not they were going to make it. You see, faith preceded victory. They had to have faith even if they didn't know how it was going to come to pass. And so as Barak is leading the charge and as Deborah is with him, I'm seeing him praying this prayer. Okay, Lord, I'm going in. I'm doing this, but I'm not doing this alone. As long as I got Deborah getting my back, as long as Wonder Woman is with me, we're okay. And so he goes in there and both Barak and Deborah push out the Canaanites and Israel is able to flourish and be the people of God and take the promise that God had for them, which is the land. Praise God for that. You know, when I think about modern day uh, Baracks, men that are bringing people around them to kind of help serve and help bring God's dream come about, I can't help but think of Eddie, who's from our Morris County campus, from our Next Steps team. Eddie's phenomenal. You can make some noise for Eddie. Absolutely. Eddie lived in California, and then God moved him to the promised land of New Jersey. And here, you know, he had a heart for new guests. You know, when you first come to Liquid, it can be kind of overwhelming if you come to a new campus. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. There's so many people. And he had a heart to help new guests make new connections with people. So if you're a new guest, find a small group. If you're a new guest, find people to connect with in your area. And Eddie really had a heart to kind of bring people along. And so that's what Eddie and his whole team do. They love bringing people together who are maybe far. And so, you know, Eddie by day is a commodities trader. But on the weekend, he puts on his jersey, he puts on his dream t-shirt, and he serves by bringing people together, making those connections, because we're better together. Eddie and his team not just talk about faith, but they show us what faith looks like in action. Because faith isn't just talking about being spiritual, but it's actually living it out and helping people come together. You see, it's making God's dream come about with the dream team. And see, the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to get that idea across that faith is a quality that we live out. It's, it's in action. And so, you know, he goes and says, man, I don't have time. I wish I had more time to tell you more about Gideon. I wish I could break it down more about Barak. But, but let me tell you about Samson. How many of y'all heard of Samson, right? Yes, yeah, so many of you guys have heard of Samson, right? And you're like, oh, he's like the muscle guy of the Bible, right? Right? He's like the guy with all the muscles. Listen, let me, let me correct some misinformation, okay? It says that when the Holy Spirit came on Samson, he had supernatural strength. It doesn't say he's got muscles. Samson got dad bod, okay? All right? That's kind of what I think, and then the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And before some of you are like, well, I I choose to not think that. You know, he probably had muscles, and I'd love to be compared to Samson. Um, Let's actually go beneath the surface of Samson's life. See, Samson was probably one of the most flawed characters in the scriptures. He had an anger problem that led him to violence. He would have these rages where he would kill many, many people. In fact, this is a guy who was a leader of Israel at the time. He was one of the judges. And if that wasn't bad enough, he also was sexually promiscuous. He was morally compromised. He he wasn't a, a great guy. He was very, very flawed, but God would still use him. Flaws and all. And you know, when I think of Samson, uh, I can't help but think about also Tiger Woods, who was one of the greatest professional athletes in golf, but was also a flawed human being. Tiger had some issues. In fact, there was a couple years ago when Tiger was kind of on top of the world. I don't know if you guys remember this, but he had a beautiful wife. He had a, a beautiful family, and he was like the greatest golfer, uh, hands down. And then it came out that he uh, basically had a string of affairs, and it blew up his life and he lost his wife, and he lost his family. In fact, he lost his swing. And it took him years and years before he could even um, get back to that same level. Again, very, very talented athlete, but super flawed. And I can't help but think it's very similar to Samson. Samson was flawed, he was morally compromised, he was spiritually compromised, but when he got it right, when he put his faith into action, when he trusted in God, that's when God would use him pretty powerfully. In fact, throughout Samson's uh, reign as a judge of Israel, he was at war with this rival rival tribe called the Philistines. And so Samson and the Philistines would go back and forth, back and forth, and then finally the, the Philistines got him. They captured Samson. They shaved his head. They actually put out his eyes so he was blind. And then they chained him to these two pillars in their temple. And about 3,000 of them all gathered as a way to celebrate the victory they had against Samson. And as this is going on, Samson, in that moment, in his last moment, actually turned back to God and put his faith into action and said, God, would you give me one more opportunity to deliver my people? Would you give me one more opportunity, God, where I'm I'm not going to make it about myself. I'm going to make it about pleasing you and helping others. And Samson pushes on the pillars, and you see there were load-bearing pillars, so the entire temple came crushing down on the Philistines. And the author of Judges says that he killed more men when he died than when he lived. See, I want us to understand this, is that you don't have to be perfect to be used powerfully by God. Let me say that again. I think we need to marinate on that a little bit. You don't have to be perfect to be used powerfully by God. Because it's not about you. It's not about me, but it's about the power of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is in your life, he is at work in you, enabling you and willing you to, to desire more of God. He's transforming you from the inside out. And as that process happens, it is God who gets the glory. It is God who gets the credit from the transformed life that he's doing in you. Don't let, God give God a praise right now. Don't let your flaws get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. God can take a flawed life, dwell the Holy Spirit, and do amazingly powerful things. In fact, that's what we see in the life of a man named Jephthah. Jephthah's another guy that the writer of Hebrews like, I wish I had more time to write about. Um, let, me, let me guys ask this. How many guys had Jephthah, the guys named Jephthah in your high school, right? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a very common, it wasn't a very popular name in, in my high school as well. But you know, Jephthah did not live a very common life. In fact, you know, he had, you know, he had a mom who had a very questionable job, a job that, you know, a lot of kids would brag about. I'm sure that he would skip take your uh, child to work days because his mom was a prostitute and wanted nothing to do with that. But then on top of that, his dad had all these other wives, all these other kind of extramarital affairs, and he had all these half-brothers. And eventually these half-brothers actually drove Jephthah out of his family. They they kicked him out, cut him off from his inheritance— and then eventually, uh, this group called the Ammonites started attacking Israel, and Israel needed a, a great warrior to kind of stand up for them, to be a new judge. And God had said, you guys got to go talk to Jephthah, who by this time had become a mighty warrior in his own right. And so his brothers approached Jephthah and said, hey, listen, I know we treated you really badly, but would you consider coming back and helping us, deliver us from the Ammonites? Now put yourself in Jephthah's shoes. Your brothers who just kicked you out, wanted nothing to do with you, ran you off the land, now they're asking you to come back, it might make you a little bitter. It might make you a little mad. It might make you want to say, you know what? Forget you. You guys forget about me. You guys treated me like garbage, so I'm going to leave you to it. But I want you to look and see what Jephthah eventually did. Eventually, he joined up in God's army, and it says that Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. See, Jephthah could have let bitterness own him. He could have let bitterness kind of be what it was all about and say, I'm not going to help you guys. I'm not going to join God's dream team. I'm not going to become a judge. I'm just going to leave it as it is. And then all of God's people would have perished. But instead he said, you know, I'm not going to let this stuff make me bitter. I'm going to let it make me better. I'm going to take the pain and I'm going to use it to serve no matter what. And God used Jephthah. It says that because of Jephthah, he was able to save his family and also save the nation of Israel. Listen, folks, we experience things all the time that will give us two choices. We can either let experiences make us bitter or we can let them make us better. And, you know, after talking to many of you, I know that as soon as we start talking about serving in church, some of you start to cringe inside. You're like, oh, Nathan, you don't know what happened to me at my last church. You, you don't know what they did to me. I had to do everything and I, I just want a break. Can't I just come and just sit and, and not be asked to do anything? I just kind of take a season of rest. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're kind of struggling on the border of being bitter or better. And I just want to encourage you that yes, we want you to take a season of rest. We want you to be in a place where you can be restored and where you can be recreated. In fact, that's one of the things what, why we're here as, as a church, why we're called liquid. We want to be refreshing to you. And we want to be a, a place that's safe for you to kind of rest and be restored. So there's no guilt. We don't want to guilt you into serving. We don't want to make you feel bad. But so if you're in a season of rest right now, we want you to receive. But I also want to encourage you because you have talents and you have gifts that God made you to unleash. And when you can do that in a way that's healthy, when you can do that in a way that you're not getting emotionally drained or burning out, it's going to grow you and those around you. So as you're resting and recouping, just know that we've got a spot for you. So when you're ready to get off the bench, we've got a spot for you in the game. In fact, that's what happened to Lawrence, who actually uh, is over down at uh, Liquid Garwood. Lawrence is a talented musician. He actually uh, came to Liquid because he was at a business networking function. Someone invited him. And so he came to church and he basically sat in the seats for about a year before ever serving. He just needed time to kind of rest. And as he was doing this time, after about one year, he's like, you know what? I think it's time. And Lawrence, uh, he plays three instruments. And so you, if you go down to Liquid Garwood, you may find him down there serving, playing one of those instruments where he's, he, he's always like, hey, I just can't wait to serve. I can't wait to say yes when they ask me to play whatever it is I'm playing. But when you don't see him on stage, he's serving behind the scenes. He's serving behind the scenes, mentoring and, uh, and, and helping his small group grow and things like that. You see, Lawrence needed that time to kind of uh, receive but now he can put his faith into action. He can put his faith in places where he can serve and care for other people the way God meant him to be. You see, when you use your talents and your gifts, you feel like you're alive. And so we want as a church to you, for you to come to that place where God is saying, I want you to release your talents and release your gifts so that the world can receive what you have. So that you can live by faith. In fact, when you look at Hebrews 11, that's what they all did. They lived by faith by using the gifts and talents that God gave them. And they did it in a way where they weren't burned out, but where they actually able to find life and fulfillment. That's why the author of Hebrews is like, man, I wish I could go into more detail, especially telling you more about David and Samuel. I wish I could tell you so much more. Well, good news. I can tell you more about David and Samuel. Now, David and Samuel, on their own, you could basically say a lot about them, but they kind of had this shared history, right? Like, like Samuel's job was to actually find the next king of Israel. You guys ever heard the show America's Next Top Model? So this is Israel's next top king, and Samuel was the Tyra Banks of the show. And so Samuel's looking around for the next king, and he's, he's at this house, and there are all these brothers there, and he sees this one brother, and he's like looking all tough. He's looking all cool, and he's like, oh, this must be the guy. This must be the next king. But God's like, no, 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 no. Samuel, come here, come here. Do not consider his appearance, or his height. For I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what, church? The heart. See, serving is about the heart. It's about your heart uh, position, posture. It's not about what you can do in your own power or in your own strength. It's having a, a desire to serve God, to love God with what you do, to put your faith into action. Because when you first see David, David does not look like God's dream team material. He's like short. He's the youngest in the room. He's got the most inexperience. Some translations say he's ruddy, which means he's like, his face is all red. He's got, I mean, he's broken out in pimples. This doesn't look like a future king. So Sammy's like, God, are you sure? This you sure this is the guy? God's like, I'm sure. So Samuel puts his faith into action, and he crowns David king of Israel. Now when you crown someone king of Israel, you begin a mentoring relationship. So Samuel the prophet is now mentoring David, the future king. And then later on, we actually see David put his faith in action. There's this guy named Goliath. He's a leftover of the Philistines after Samson crushed a big group of them. And Goliath is like nine feet tall. He's a giant. Everyone's freaking out in Israel like, oh my gosh, Goliath is coming. He's nine feet tall. Look how big he is. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. Well, everyone is looking at how big Goliath is. You got David who's this little runt. He's looking up and going, it doesn't matter how big Goliath is. My God is bigger. My God can take him out. And so David gets five pebbles and a slingshot and he cuts that giant down to size. He takes him out because he's like, my God is bigger than any giants that come my way. I can trust God over whatever giants are in my life. Amen? That's our God. Whatever giants are in your life, we can take them out through faith. Faith in action. Now Samuel put his faith into action by trusting God and crowning and mentoring David. David put his faith into action by by going against Goliath. But you know, David would not have had that faith if Samuel hadn't mentored it into him. See, for Samuel, he was making an investment. He was investing his faith forward. Forward. He was mentoring the next generation. Y'all, when you mentor the next generation, when you come alongside young believers, uh, teenagers, or kids, and you invest in them, what you're doing is taking your faith, you're investing in them, and you're investing it forward so it can make an impact. In fact, that's what Liquid Family does every single week. And I think of Rosa right now, who's in Essex County, and she is doing that right now, as you all, we're all sitting here. She's investing in the next generation. She's greeting new families as they're coming to Liquid in Essex County for the first time. She's helping connect Samuels to Davids in their small groups, making those connections happen. And here's something I'm just sensing right now. I just feel like God right now is raising up Samuels to mentor Davids. I believe that God is calling you to be a Samuel, and there's a David that you have not yet met. They're in liquid family, and God's saying, I want you to invest your faith into them. But maybe you're thinking, my faith's not perfect enough. My faith is not holy enough. Or look at all the scars. I have made so many messed up things in my life and bad decisions. I'm not worthy to mentor anybody. Let me just tell you, number one, that's a lie from the enemy. Number two, your scars tell stories. Your scars tell stories that the next generation need to hear. They need to hear that faith actually works in real life. What happens when you mess up that you can turn back to God? That when you mess up, God actually redeems your mistakes and does something good with them. Come on, church, this is our God. He's a God of redemption. The next generation needs to hear that. Because for years, the next generation that's coming up, they've been taught you got to be perfect to come to God. We got to correct that and say, no, no, no. You got to come to God messed up. Y'all gotta come to God messed up and he will straighten you out. It just will take your entire life. Because that's the truth. That's the reality. There are no perfect people. And when we take that step of faith, we put our faith into action, say I'm gonna mentor the next generation. I'm gonna show them my life so that they can maybe avoid the mistakes I made and go further faster in the destiny that God has for them. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to step out in that kind of faith? You see, that's what all the heroes of faith had in common. Look at how Hebrews ends this section here. He says, look at these heroes who through faith, it says. Say faith, church. Faith. Faith. What did they do? They conquered kingdoms like Barak and Jephthah. They administered justice like King David. They gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions like Daniel, who quenched the fury of the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength like Samson, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies like Gideon. Women received back their dead. They were what? Raised to life again, like the prophet Elijah who prayed over the widow's child and raised him back to life again. Here's what you got to understand about all of these men and women of faith. They did something with their faith. They went, they went public with it. They weren't afraid to show the world that they had faith in a God that was beyond anything that they could understand or see. No matter what happened, no matter if persecution came, they still held fast. They still put their faith into action. Check this out. He says, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released. Listen to that. Refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Wait, are you telling me that there are these people that were put in prison? They were put in chains. They were being tortured. They were being beaten. And, and they could have they left if they just denied Jesus, if they could have just denied their faith? Yep. But instead what they said is, you don't know what he did for me. You don't know what God did for me. He saved me. He gave his, inter- his, son-, he gave his son so I could live. He gave what? his best So I'm going to give God my best. Jesus gave his life for me, so I'm not going to be afraid to give my life for him because there's a better resurrection that's coming. There's a better reward that's coming. There's something better. Give God a praise, church, because he's not done with you yet. Your story's not over. That's faith, and that's the heritage that we have, that we're standing on their shoulders. In fact, it goes on and says that some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. That's rocks, not weed, for clarification. (laughs) They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Y'all understand why the Bible calls these men and women heroes of the faith? Because they knew that faith wasn't all rainbows and roses. They knew that faith wasn't all unicorns and marshmallows and lucky charms. They knew that faith involved sacrifice. They knew that when you serve others, at times you will have to sacrifice what is best for you. That's when you put your faith into action. When you put faith in action, people will misunderstand you. When you put your faith into action, what happens is people may persecute you. When you put your faith into action, people may mock you. They may say, why are you at church on a Sunday? The weather's beautiful. You should be at the beach. Why are you taking another day out of your week to serve in the evenings? Shouldn't you be making life about you right now? You do you, right? You don't need to help other people. But you see, faith precedes sight. See, in order for us to experience the blessing of God, What that requires is that we need to take a step of faith. We need to say, all right, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what to see the promise. And Check this out. In Hebrews it says, these were all commended for their faith. Talking about chapter 11, those men and women. God was like, yes, they were commended. But yet none of them received what had been promised. What? Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What does that mean? Here, this is fascinating. Come here close, let me tell you. You see, these Old Testament saints did not get the payoff that they were hoping for because they are waiting. What were they waiting for? They're waiting for you. They're waiting for me. They're actually waiting for us because it says only together with us Would they be made perfect. I don't know if you ever thought this way, that man, ever thought, hey man, it would be really great if I could actually live back in the Old Testament times, right? You know, when God was like, you know, opening up the Red Sea and and fire was falling down and angels were at work. Man, it'd be great to live in those times, right? But you know, I guarantee you, if you talk to some of those Old Testament saints, you're like, man, I wish, I wish I could have been here in 2019 hanging out with Vince. I wish I could have been hanging out, you know, in 2019 with, with Claire or with James or with Doug. I wish in 2019 I could be here. Because you see, we have two advantages that the folks in the Old Testament did not have. The first one is we actually know what God's plan was completed through Christ. We now have access to God through Jesus. We can have a personal relationship with God through Christ. And the second is we're actually one day closer to the return of Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, they knew that one day God was going to recreate heaven and earth. In Isaiah, the prophecies are there. They didn't know how it was going to happen. They didn't know that God was going to send his son and he would die on a cross. He'd be resurrected so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with him. They didn't know that one day Jesus was going to come back and set the world straight and heaven would invade earth. They didn't know any of that. They had hints. They had a a whiff of it. They, They didn't know how it all would come together, but what they did have was faith. And so they took the faith that they had and they ran with it. They ran with it until they got to the New Testament Saints and said the baton's yours. They passed the baton of faith and now that baton's being passed to you and me here at Liquid Church. You see, God has a dream team and they are running a relay race. So in the Old Testament you had Noah, he's running the race and he's like, Abraham, you're in. And so Abraham, he's running the race. He's like, Isaac, it's on you. And now Isaac's taking it. And they're running throughout the Old Testament and the prophets. And then finally they're going to the New Testament. Matthew, you got this? And Matthew's got it. And he's running with it too. And he's getting it to Paul. And now Paul is reading his epistles and it goes down church history. And now it's saying, it's your turn, liquid church. Will you take the baton and will you run hard? Will you take the baton to serve the next generation? To see the kingdom of God expand. You see, faith is often like a relay race. I like how Hebrews, when he says in, in, in chapter 12, says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, imagine, this is God's dream team from the Old Testament. They're watching and they're cheering from the stands. And it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And it goes on to say, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So here's the picture of the church as a relay race. The Old Testament Saints have been carrying the faith. They're saying, we don't know what this is gonna look like yet, but we know God is good. We know God is trustworthy. He's never let us down. So we're gonna carry the baton and we're gonna run with it. And it's gone throughout all of church history. And now it comes to us. And now the church, now the God's dream team, the Old Testament saints, they're seeing what you and I are doing and they're cheering for you. They're saying, we held the faith and now it's your turn, run the race. I know it's hard. I know you're gonna make mistakes. I know you're gonna mess up, but that's okay. Run the race, hold to the faith and look to Jesus through it all. See, that's the call that we have today as a church and our privilege is that we get to serve Jesus in faith. We get to serve him in all of our unique ways, in the ways that he's made us and he's fabricated us and created and customized us. So God's called every single follower of Jesus to come down from the stands, to get in the field, to put on a jersey and to get in the game to take faith to the next generation so that that generation can take it to the next one after that. That's why I'm so grateful for our dream teams all across our campuses. They serve without asking for anything back because they are seeing what God is doing. They are holding on to the baton of faith and they're running hard with it. Can we make some noise for our dream teams all across our campuses? We praise God for you. We praise God for you. And you know, I get excited when I think about this because we have this like, great cloud of witnesses and they are right now cheering and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're on their feet saying, go, 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 go. And they're cheering for those who are kind of grabbing the baton and going for it. And I think of Dina Taylor, who's right now running the expo at her campus at Middlesex County. The great cloud of witnesses is cheering her on. This great cloud of witnesses, they're losing their minds when they think about Corbin, who's serving in Somerset County. And he serves as a roadie, you know, setting up, tearing down. He'll jump into parking to serve there. He'll jump in guest connections wherever he can because he sees God at work there. I think of the great cloud of witnesses cheering on their feet, you know, losing their minds again for for Jim Hayes. He serves on the cafe team in Mountainside. And not only does he serve there, he's championing our clean water cause in Africa. Whenever he hands a cup of coffee, he's like, this is a conversation I get to have with somebody. This is a a warm caffeinated drink I can give to comfort someone to encourage them. And one of the things I also love about Jim is, as you can see here, he serves with his kids. He's got two sons. And so for them, serving is a family affair, and they serve as a family. You know, the family that serves together stays together. And one of the things I I love what Jim is doing here is he's actually modeling. He's like, you know what? I'm showing my kids that you're never too young to put your faith into action. You're never too young to give it up for God. You're never too young to see a move of the power of the Spirit. And they're modeling it and they're shaping their kids for that. Guys, I want that for every single one of us here. When we're holding the baton and we're passing it down to the next generation, as we run the race. So guys, I want to give you a chance today to kind of um, put some feet to our faith by giving you, letting you get a chance to go out um, into, the ca- into your campus to get some instructions on how you can be a part of one of our dream teams in the Dream Team Expo. And so soon I'm going to invite your campus leaders to come up. They're going to give you some instructions. Uh, parents, don't get your kids right away. They don't want you. Okay, they're learning about Jesus in the Bible and they're having fun. So we'll let them kind of finish up their lessons there. They're not ready for you there. So you can go and head out towards the expo. There's some delicious food. Um, there's some free lemonade at one of the tables you should definitely check out. Um, and then when you go over there, we're actually doing this thing called Summer Serve. Now Summer Serve is actually a way for you kind of take a test drive to a group. You actually will get one of these t-shirts if you sign up for Summer Serve. And it's kind of like Costco, you know, where you, you sample it before you buy it, right? We want you to actually try serving in a couple areas before you kind of commit to it. It's a, it's a one-time thing. Uh, and you get a t-shirt, so you get some sweet summer swag. You know, you can never go wrong with that. And you will like the way you look. I guarantee it. So you definitely want to check that out. But more than anything else, I just want you guys to step into what God has for you. This isn't just a a a serving opportunity. This is actually an opportunity for you to take a step of faith, to see God do some things in your life that maybe you never expected him to do, to move miraculously and supernaturally. I don't want you to miss out on that. I don't want you to miss out on the best that God has for you. So I want to encourage you to take that next step of faith. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite your campus leaders to give you further instructions. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come right now. And I know you've been moving on our hearts. You've been moving on my heart. Serving is an opportunity, God, to put our faith into action. So Father, I pray that you'd show us how you've uh, customized us and made us to serve. Show us and lead us to the right space so that we can be an active servant. So we can see your kingdom uh, do some incredible things in our own lives, God. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd lead us to the right area that you are calling us to serve in. And Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that are in a season of rest right now. They're refreshing, they're recreating, and they're restoring right now. Would you restore them, God? Would you help sharpen their gifts, sharpen their talents, so when they are ready to get back in the game, God, they can serve out of their strengths and out of joy, not out of duty and drudgery. God, we thank you so much for just uh, handing us the baton. This is our time. This is our season as the church. Help us to step into that role and do what you've made us and called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.